This is the Rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the auction community studios for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski with you. Cody Fincher and Jeff Darge behind the glass. Both pulling out some dance moves there. I appreciate that. I need that enthusiasm to begin this Friday evening show. A big weekend of football, though not as big um, across the Pac-12 as it was going to be about 24 hours ago. We'll get into that in a moment, but certainly uh, the big story here on this Friday night as we head into this weekend. It feels like forever since the last time the Cardinals played a game. The last game they played was that one against Seattle with the uh, the Buda Baker, DK Metcalf play. I mean, there's a million different plays in that game that, that will stand out to you, but the, uh, the Buda and DK one is uh, living on in meme infamy on the internet, even today. So the Cardinals riding high into the bye week. Now we'll see how they come out of the bye week. And I love this matchup. Actually, Jeff pointed this out, uh, the the story on ESPN.com today, looking at the Kyler versus Tua matchup being the uh, the first time two number one quarterbacks, like quarterbacks wearing the number one, squaring off. This is a really compelling game at that position in the sense that if you think about it, this is really Kyler's first game as the veteran quarterback in a matchup, right? I mean, vet in air quotes. He's played 20, what, 25 games? So this will be his 24th game. But, I mean, if you look through his career, everybody he's faced has been in the league a lot longer than him, with, I guess, the exception of Dwayne Haskins back in week two of uh, this season. But it doesn't even feel like Dwayne Haskins is still in the NFL anymore. And and even then, I mean, they both came in at the same time. This is the first time you're you're going into an NFL game with the Cardinals where Kyler Murray is the much more experienced NFL quarterback than the opposition. What's interesting, though, about this uh, this matchup beyond that is Miami's reasoning for playing Tua in this game. And I know it's it's been a point of contention for a lot of people of, you know, are you playing, have you have you switched over to Tua, not just this game, I should say, I mean, starting last week against the Rams, are you switching over because he gives you a better chance to win than Ryan Fitzpatrick, or are you switching over because you want to see what you have? I would start with this, you can always tweet into the show at Rundown987, or you can tweet at me at Luke Lipinski. I mean, from a Cardinals perspective, would you rather be facing Fitzpatrick or Tua? This weekend. I almost think I'd rather be facing Fitzpatrick. Tua's... See, there's a lot of nuance to that. You should be able to shut down Tua because it's his second game ever. But I just feel like you know what you would get from Fitzpatrick. So, specifically if you're the Cardinals, if you are a lesser team, maybe you want to face the rookie quarterback making his second start. But if you're the Cardinals... I kind of feel like if you go into this game and you're facing Ryan Fitzpatrick and Miami's now down to their third string running back already and you're coming off a bye week, if you play your game, you figure you beat them. Two is the unknown, and I think that Miami's best shot at being, beating the Cardinals is with the unknown. They should be able to put pressure on him, force him into some mistakes, or if nothing else, just limit his ability to move the ball on them. And, and I think as long as Kyler just goes out there doesn't turn the ball over, plays his typical Kyler game, that should be enough against this Dolphins team. I like this Dolphins team. I like Brian Flores as a coach. I think Miami's certainly building something, and you look at all the picks they have in next year's draft, courtesy of Houston, 
they're going to be a tough team here for a while. And I think Tua is going to be good. But this particular week, Tua's second career start, Kyler and the Cardinals on a bit of a roll and coming out of the bye week, which you hope helps them this time as opposed to last year. I, it just feels like if the Cardinals play their game, they should be able to win this one. Uh, but, you know, look, anything anything goes, certainly. But it is interesting if you want to take the step back and say the Cardinals, in a way you can make the case the Cardinals are the reason that Tua is already starting. Because where people are taking issue with the idea that, that Miami's starting him is the thought that you're if you're the Dolphins, it's an audition for Tua. That word seems to be triggering people when you look at, at, at whether or not he's playing because Miami thinks he's the best option or because he's auditioning. I don't think he's auditioning. I think you just, as the Dolphins... You have to be you have to be smart about your situation. You can't go through this whole season and and not play Tua at all. And and you know, to be fair, you also can't play him like week sixteen and seventeen and think you have a read on him. You're not drafting anybody else at quarterback. He's your guy. But you do have to you have to give him some games this season just in case a crazy scenario happens where Houston finishes last in the NFL, which they could. They're not going to because the Jets are in the league, but they could. And Trevor Lawrence is there, and you're not gonna you're not gonna want to be sitting there passing on Trevor Lawrence when you've never even looked at Tua yet. So the reason you can kind of put that on the Cardinals is most teams they draft a quarterback in the first round. Well, that's it. You give them a few years. Well, not the Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals started the trend, right? If you had never seen Josh Rosen in 2018, if Sam Bradford had never gotten hurt, and the Cardinals. I mean, I don't think this would have happened, but let's just say Sam Bradford didn't get hurt and they won like five or six games. And we saw Josh Rosen once in week 17. Would they have still taken Kyler? It would have been a lot more difficult to justify taking a quarterback in the first round of back-to-back years if you never even looked at the one you took the first year, if you never even looked at him in, in an NFL game situation or you did for like a game and a half. So that's why Miami's doing this, just in case two is terrible. He's not going to be terrible. But you can't get in a situation where, at the draft, you have a chance to take Trevor Lawrence or even Justin Fields, and that's probably going to be in play with how bad Houston's been and the fact that Miami has Houston's pick, without at least looking at Tua and saying, oh, yeah, we, we already know we got our guy. We've seen him. We're fine. We're using this pick on whatever, offensive line or defense or whatever. So in, in that way... It's almost come full circle where the Cardinals are facing Tua on Sunday because they started this this new mindset of just because you took a quarterback in the first round one year doesn't mean he's locked in for the next three years. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. All right, let's uh, look at college football. ASU-USC. The Sun Devils kicking off their Pac-12 season tomorrow morning. 9 a.m. in California where the game is taking place. 10 a.m. here, though. That's a big one to start the Pac-12 season, even though the Pac-12 is sort of evaporating around the Sun Devils and Trojans right now. But these are two of the teams that, if everybody plays to their potential in this conference, if everybody just plays their best football, I think ASU is on, on the very short list with USC and Oregon. And they're probably third. But I think they're on the very short list of teams that could win the Pac-12. Obviously, stuff could happen. We're already seeing it. Some of the other teams are not getting to even play this weekend. ASU, I mean, it's it's college football. Anything goes in that regard. These are still pretty young young players out there, and they've had such a weird offseason coming into this. But I'm just saying, if everybody played to their potential, if you're just going talent on paper, I think ASU is on that short list 
probably just a little bit behind Oregon and USC. But tomorrow, they have a chance to prove that they're better than USC. They go into that game 10.5-point underdogs, though. Jaden Daniels, who went to high school right around San Bernardino. And, of course, Keaton Slovis for USC, who went to high school here in Scottsdale. Uh, To the NBA, we're going to talk to Kellen Olsen, our own Kellen Olsen, here in a little bit about the fact that the NBA season is looking like it's going to start on December 22nd. So the NBA jumping right back into it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of reasons why they needed to do this. TV money, you're probably not going to have fans maybe for any of the season, certainly for a lot of it. So this is uh, this is Brian Windhorst talking about when free agency could potentially start now. Yeah, still under discussion that there's things that are getting negotiated, but I would expect it to start shortly after the draft, maybe within two or three days, maybe Friday of that week, the 20th, uh, we could see free agency start. Ideally, the league would like to get the majority of free agency done before Thanksgiving because training camps are looking to begin around December 1st, shortly after Thanksgiving. So fr- draft, free agency, players moving, coach. There's still a team, Oklahoma City Thunder doesn't have a coach. Uh, a lot of things are going to start falling into place once this calendar gets set, likely in the next 24 to 48 hours. Yeah, and finally to college football. I know Gambo was fired up on this on the last show, and I'm, I'm kind of with him. You have the Huskies, the Washington Cal game has been canceled this weekend because Cal is dealing with COVID issues. You have the U of A Utah game. Now today we find out that's being canceled this weekend because Utah is dealing with COVID issues. Can't find a way to have Washington U of A play. I know it's not as simple as just, hey, we're all standing in the same area. We're all playing football in a bubble. You just walk over to that field. This is not like a, a tournament that you're just playing in high school or something. I get that. But I tell you what, you have a season that is seven games total for the Pac-12. There are fears that they have waited too long to start the season. They were doing it in the hopes of, of keeping everybody safe, which I applaud. But the fear is now you're running up against flu season and possibly a second wave of COVID. So now it might be harder to get games in towards the end of the season. I like that they're going to try it. I'm very hopeful because, as I've been saying for a year and a half, I think this is ASU's best team, at least on paper, that we've seen in a long time. So I'm glad they're trying to play as long as it's you know reasonably safe. But you better have a plan because if you're telling me that the Huskies can't play U of A this weekend, they can't push that game to Sunday or Monday or whatever, I, okay, well, I, I'm not going to argue the logistics with you. But what I am going to say is ASU is supposed to play Cal next weekend. And obviously other teams, because every Pac-12 team is supposed to play every week now for the next seven weeks. Other teams are supposed to play Utah and Cal in the coming weeks. ASU is supposed to play Cal next weekend, Utah November 28th. Let's have some sort of contingency plan if Cal can't play next weekend too, where ASU plays somebody else. At least be looking into it, because the one thing the NFL has done well through all this is they have taken the time to switch the schedule around if need be. So if you're going to tell me it's too late, to get the Huskies and Wildcats playing on Sunday or something this weekend since they are not dealing with COVID issues. It's the team they were going to play. Well, fine. But make sure you have a plan in place for next weekend because we already know Cal and Utah are dealing with this. All right, that's the Rapid Reaction. We'll come back and get deeper into the Cardinals-Dolphins matchup this weekend. Both teams hit very hard by the injury bug, specifically at one position. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. It's The Rundown, hosted by Luke Lipinski. Luke. 
I am your father. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Welcome back to the show on this Friday evening. Hopefully everybody's having a good Friday. Have a good weekend. I know it's been a stressful week, and I'm sure it'll be a stressful weekend as well, but got some sports to talk about. we got some sports to look forward to this weekend. Cardinals, especially here locally, you got a pretty good football team to look at. They have a chance to go 6-2 and two this weekend. It's very possible, I don't know if I would pick against the Seahawks, but it's very possible that if the Cardinals win on Sunday... They'll be six and two. That's definite. That's not just possible. If they win, they'll be six and two. It's very possible Seattle could lose. They are in Buffalo to take on the Bills, who are leading the AFC East. So it's not that crazy to think the Cardinals are could be tied for first with the Seahawks at the end of this week. And and uh, of course the Cardinals have the tiebreaker. Now they will play each other again in a couple weeks. So I mean that tiebreaker only lasts for so long, but that's certainly in play. You look at the injuries in this game, specifically at running back. And for Miami, it's not great. Miles Gaskin has been their lead back this season. And if you look at his numbers for the season, they're not you know, they're not amazing. We were talking about this earlier in the week. If you play fantasy football, you know how good Miles Gaskin has been this season. But I do think some of it is just simply because there aren't very many healthy running backs around the NFL. He's got 387 rushing yards in seven games. So, I mean, is that an average of about 53-ish, 54 per game? I mean, over the course of the season, that's going to get you like 800, 850 yards. It's it's fine. It's not anything amazing. He's got two touchdowns. You know, he's he's a decent part of the receiving game, but he's gotten the end zone twice all season. And yet, like I said, if you play fantasy football, the guy who has Miles Gaskin in your league isn't trading him. So the Dolphins are going to be without him. Their second leading rusher behind Gaskin is Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's not playing and also is a quarterback with a large beard. Your third option is Matt Breida, who's supposed to be the starting running back this weekend. He got ruled out today, too, with a hamstring issue. So, whoever Miami's going to run out there, whether it's Jordan Howard, who has 14 yards this season on 18 carries, or whatever sort of combination of of guys that are going to try and use to, to move the ball on the ground... It's going to be a mix of inexperience and inefficiency. So the Cardinals are in a good position in the sense that Miami can't come out and say, okay, we got two out here. It's the second game, but we're going to try and beat the Cardinals with our running game and our defense. It's going to be tough for Miami to beat the Cardinals with their running game unless two is running. So then it comes down to Miami's defense. And like I said, I think if Kyler can just not turn the ball over and move it, fairly effectively, you take Miami's defense out of the game as a scoring option for the Dolphins. On the flip side, though, the Cardinals are going to be working without their number one running back. Kenyon Drake rolled out today. Chase Edmonds says he's ready to go. I think just it's really more mentally for me. You know, I kind of just have that confidence that, you know, I, I can be a player in this league. Um, so right now it's more so just, again, not making anything of it going out there and just just executing how I execute. It's just going to be at a, a higher volume. That, that's all it is. You know, that's really how I try to look at it and really just, you know, again, focus up, do my job, and then let the game come to you. I think when players, you know, start making certain situations more than what it is or whatever the case is kind of built into the hype, then that's when you start pressing the issue or you just have unnecessary pressure. So there's no unnecessary pressure. There's nothing. I'm, I'm very confident. You know, we're very confident as an offensive unit. We're gelling right now. And we want to continue to keep that momentum going until KD gets back. Yeah, look, I like Chase Edmonds. I think most Cardinals fans like Chase Edmonds. 
I, I like his mentality. I like his approach to the game. I'd like his just general positivity. He's only had one game, though, last season where he was essentially the starter, and that was against the Giants. It's the only game in his NFL career where he's gotten double-digit carries, and he I mean, he took off 27 carries, 126 yards, three touchdowns in that game against the Giants last October 20th. He was a monster. That was the game that <laughs> all the national fantasy football experts flipped out on the Cardinals for not telling everyone David Johnson wasn't going to get the ball very often, if you recall, even though the Cardinals won that game and it was the right decision because Chase Edmonds was an absolute machine. But he's just... You, if you're around that team, you cover that team, you're around the locker room, he's always one of the most positive guys in that locker room. And he hasn't been a starter until this week, basically. I mean, he had maybe a week in there. He did say also today that he spent a lot of the offseason trying to, to mentally prepare to be more of a receiving back for the Cardinals. And he did so by watching a lot of footage of Alvin Kamara of the Saints and Christian McCaffrey of the Panthers, who are obviously two of the best receiving running backs in the NFL. So he can certainly be an option there uh, for Kyler Murray to dump the ball off of, or maybe not even to, to dump passes off to, but actually just run set pass plays to. I mean, Chase Edmonds has 26 catches this season. That's third on the team behind Fitz and DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins has 57. That's unreal. But I mean, yeah, Edmonds has more catches than Kirk, uh, Dan Arnold, Andy Isabella, anybody else on the team. So he's certainly going to be a weapon out of the backfield as a receiver as well. So both teams missing their starting running back, but you have to feel a lot better about the Cardinals' replacement because we don't even truly know who Miami's backup running back is right now. The other thing, too, real quick on the, the Cardinals' backfield, it sounds like DJ Foster and Jonathan Ward, those are the guys Cliff has been talking about as potential guys that may step in for a couple plays and, and spell Chase Edmonds in this game. Didn't hear anything about Eno Benjamin, so we'll see. I mean, it's very early in his career. Uh, over to college football and to the Pac-12 in particular. I mentioned that the Cal-Washington game this weekend has been canceled. The Utah-U of A game was canceled today. So all 12 teams are supposed to play every week now in the Pac-12 for the next seven weeks. The schedule is set for six of those weeks. And then that seventh week, there's going to be a Pac-12 championship. And the other 10 teams are going to play. They just don't know who they're going to play yet. So they'll set that up. So it's 2020. Nothing is perfect. Most stuff is far from perfect. But there is some schedule flexibility in all these sports. We've seen it. The NBA and the NHL didn't set out with the intention of playing in a bubble at the end of their last seasons. They didn't set out with the intention in the NBA of having some extra teams play eight regular season games in that bubble and then not make the playoffs. The NHL didn't set out to have 24 teams in their playoffs. There's schedule flexibility. We saw the the NFL move the Titans-Steelers game around already. I don't really know why they didn't move last night's game especially because it turns out a lot of those guys on San Francisco had uh, had false positives, and the 49ers could have used those players. I don't think it would have made a difference against Aaron Rodgers, but still. But we've seen these sports forced into being flexible. So again, I will say, I'm, I'm totally on board with, with you got to cancel these games if players are at risk. So if you got to cancel the Cal game against the Huskies, okay. you got to cancel the Utah game against U of A, Okay. I'm an ASU fan. I would have liked to watch Utah play U of A because I think Utah would have won pretty handily. But if you can't have U of A and the Huskies play each other, 
Let's start making some sort of plans for next weekend. Next weekend, ASU is supposed to play Cal. At least have a contingency plan in place. Utah is supposed to play UCLA. So how about we just have in the back of our minds, if Utah and Cal aren't over this by next weekend, let's have ASU and UCLA play each other next weekend. They were supposed to play each other in week five on December 5th. We can move stuff around then. That's my, my worry here. You've got to have contingency plans in place. Talked about earlier this week, the NFL has that contingency plan of a 16-team playoff. I hate it. I hate the idea of 16 NFL teams making the playoffs. But I love that they have a contingency plan in place. So on the one hand, I get that, especially with the, the Utah-U of A game and the travel involved and everything, and that, that just happened, that just came to light today, that Utah's not going to be able to play, that you maybe can't do anything last second. But I don't want to be sitting here a week from now saying, okay, well, the Utah-UCLA game got canceled because Utah's not done with this yet. And the Cal-ASU game got canceled because Cal's not done with it yet. So that's a couple less games for those teams. Like, no, no, let's let's set something up in the back of our minds. ASU plays UCLA next week if Cal and Utah have to miss another week of games. You only have so many games this season if you're the Pac-12. And if you are serious at all about trying to put a team in the playoff conversation, A, that team's going to have to go 7-0. and We already know that. But B, they're going to have to go 7-0. and Nobody going 5-0 and is even going to be talked about nationally. So I understand it's a sensitive subject, and I just want to reiterate, I don't want anybody being put at risk. But if you have two teams that can play, especially a week from now, maybe have a plan in place for them to, to meet up if, if they absolutely have to. Because if you're going to do this, if you're going to try and play this, this uh, shortened season, let's go all in on, on making sure we have every possible avenue explored. All right, we come back. We'll get into the NBA. Our own Kellen Olsen is going to join us and talk about the, the new start date for the season, what that means for the draft, free agency, what it means for the Phoenix Suns. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station and the home of the Suns. Home of the Suns. We're checking in with Suns nerd Kellen Olsen on the Rundown. Yes, we are. Luke Lipinski back here with you. Jeff Darge behind the glass and joining us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line, the one and only Kellen Olsen. Kellen, it's been a pretty quiet week around the country. How are you doing? Oh, you know, just... Uh relaxing just very able to not worry about anything it's everybody's just kind of chilling this week it's like we all took vacation at the same time uh i'll tell you what i'll tell you who didn't take vacation the nba owners and players approving a december 22nd start a 72 game regular season i'll just start here are you surprised that they were able to get this together so what, what seemed so quickly I'm not surprised because there's such an insane amount of urgency for them because of the amount of money that they have lost in all these leagues and all these businesses, like, of course, like across the world have lost. So like the immediate, the immediate question kind of becomes, well, how do you make up for this? How do we get back on track? And then you start looking towards next season and the season beyond. And there was this really, I think what added even more urgency is that, there was this shift from it seemed like the league was going to wait until fans were going to be able to return, and that's when I was telling people, like, I'm not even sure if they're going to play in, like, February. It might be March or April. And then it turned into, oh, this huge wave is coming. It was just announced today that, like, there were the most cases today in the country than there ever have been. 
for a day. So with the second wave of the coronavirus coming, they've shifted to, okay, let's just kind of get a season done here again with either no fans or very little fans. And then the season after that, which is going to be back on our regular rotation, which is October to June, that is when we will start to really uh, start to get back on track. It, it's If that made sense at all, I don't even think it makes sense to them, honestly, but that's how they're trying to make <laughs> sense of it at least. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense in the sense that you just want to get as many games in and get a season in as, as, as best you can. Hit the 72-game mark because that makes you more money with TV. Try, ideally, to have a relatively full season and then get on track for the Olympics and next season. So what does that mean now for free agency in the draft? That means we're moving quick, and I'm I'm very fascinated to see what the effects are, because, particularly for just players moving to new teams, and that could be rookies getting drafted, that could be guys getting traded or, or signed, because you think about the past league calendar, guys get drafted in June, they get traded for in June, or they get signed or traded for in July, and then we go August, September, training camp starts in October. You go from two months to two weeks now. Uh, the draft is on November 18th to uh, December 1st is when training camps are going to start. That's under two weeks. So some players are going to get acquired in trades on November 18th, and they're going to have to figure out in two weeks where they're living, all this stuff, get used to their new city in a couple of weeks while playing for a new team, and then in a little over a month playing their first real NBA games for, for these rookies specifically. So I no, – no summer league, obviously, because we're in winter now. <laughs> uh, uh, if you have stepped outside – in Arizona recently, you will disagree with that statement, but I swear it's winter. They tell me it's winter. Um, but I, I don't really know how it's going to go. This is really unprecedented. Yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. Everything is just kind of, it's new and, and they're forging ahead. But in general, and I'm not trying to even compare it to the other sports, but it, it's sort of it's sort of impossible, specifically with baseball. Like It seemed like it took baseball so long to get on the same page this past summer and, and get the owners and players to agree on stuff, and then they finally did it, and they you know, had some issues and stuff. But the NBA got that bubble together pretty quickly, and now they've gotten this together relatively quickly. What are some of the uh, the, the potential challenges or, or concerns that they are dealing with that maybe they can't totally prepare for, but that they're at least looking at going forward? Well, you look at what's happened in all the other sports right now that are doing this outside of bubble formats. Obviously, the NFL has dealt with some rescheduling of games, postponement of games, and so on. The Pac-12 is off to a horrible start already. They've already seen two games canceled before they even got going or not canceled, I believe postponed is what they're saying. But either way, the NBA is going to have to get ready for that if they're not, um, if they're not doing a bubble, which they're not. So that's just the reality uh, of the disease right now. And just if someone's going to slip up, it's, it's just the, the way, unfortunately, that it works. And, and, and without the bubble in place, you're going to have positive, uh, positive tests within the league, positive guys getting uh, the coronavirus, of course, and you're going to have to figure out your new system in terms of the roster. How do you – what is your policy, basically? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there's, there's a difference now from the bubble to now that's really hard to explain. But since everything isn't so contained and, and available to them, they could just do contact tracing within the bubble and find out every single guy that this guy has been around in the past 6 to 12 hours. They can't do that when they're just back at home and everything, you know, and then going out everywhere. So it's just so much more complicated now for them. And it was 
it was so simplistic in the bubble before, which is why there's been some debates this week, which I agree with, of like, obviously the bubble sucks and like staying in the same place is pretty horrible for like mental health and everything. But at the same time, it was very safe and it was very successful. Yeah, it, it's a good point. We're talking to Kellen Olson. I mean, I think maybe the, the simplest way to put it is this new system they're going to attack this upcoming season with is probably a lot easier on the players mentally, like you said, probably a much bigger headache for Adam Silver and, and the NBA executives that, that have to, if nothing else, be ready with a lot of uh, flexibility and, and ability to adjust on the fly. Because like you said, they're going to have to adjust whether it is I mean, I don't know. Are they gonna? Are they looking seriously at, at having a schedule set up where, you know, the Suns go to play Sacramento, and if they're going to play them twice the season, they play them twice on the same trip? Is that something they can do? That is what is being discussed uh, potentially, and what is likely going to be the outcome. And, and the most obvious qualm here is: let's say you're traveling to Denver and Utah, and you play your five or six games against those teams. Let's say the Kings go there. And they go there when Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell are hurt. Mm. They get that little window where, as opposed to them playing them in November, January, and March, they get different timelines. But now teams are going to get advantages that other teams aren't going to have. Just there's going to be some more luck involved in the scheduling, which is weird to say, but it was it was balanced a certain way for a reason before. And now you're getting out of the way of that because you got to go now. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, you you see a team spread out five times over the course of the year and their best players hurt. You're probably only missing him once instead of all five times contained together. Um, To the Suns specifically, I mean, we know who the core is. Do you foresee this roster looking much different from the one that ran through the bubble at 8-0 when the season starts? Yeah, I really do. Um, I think that there's a decision to be made and like the, the closer we get to the off season officially starting in the moratorium lifting when trades are going to be allowed shortly before the draft, I think there's, there's going to be a, a shift with the roster. Now, whether that's just guys like Baines, Sarge, Kaminsky, Diallo, Okobo, those guys being gone and replaced, or if it's like something way more legitimate, like a trade involving Kelly Oubre, them trying to acquire a huge name in either free agency or um, or on the trade market. I really think it could be one of those bigger names. I'm starting to get more and more convinced. They have a huge advantage right now uh, with the Caps staying at 109 instead of it going down. They're going to be one of the few teams with cap space that they choose to move on from those guys like Dario, Baines, uh, and Kaminsky. They're going to be able to open up some money and compete with other teams like the Knicks and the Pistons and the Hawks that they're quite frankly just better at, better than, and just have a better scenario to present to these guys and make a good pitch if you are running the suns if they just if they call you and they're like hey hey kellen can you just run the suns for the next few weeks and you that free agency happens to fall in those few weeks i mean what are you trying to get in free agency oh man i i I don't think i've ever thought about it from that perspective if i'm being honest people are going to think i'm lying but i'm I'm always trying to think of what they're going to do in their heads as opposed to mine (laughs) Uh, but (laughs) that's that's the honest truth but with that question being put on me I, I i really think that it comes down to like i just need to have one lengthy conversation with devin booker and see how he's doing okay because if he's okay with us potentially missing the playoffs this season and like let's say we we compete with this roster like they did um over the last uh, over the bubble run of course he's okay with like slowly building this thing organically with such a young team then i don't think you do really anything drastic but if he wants to go now and he wants to make a playoffs which honestly he should because of how terrible this team has been around in the past couple of years 
I just do whatever that man wants, honestly, because it isn't going anywhere uh, without him. And if he starts to get more unsettled and wants to win and the right moves aren't being made that he wants, I know people are going to laugh at that and say, kid's never made the playoffs. He's only 24 years old. You can't let him dictate what the franchise wants. He is the franchise right now. He has been for the past three years, and he will be for the next five to ten, depending on how much longer he's here. Yeah, I guess he's that great of a player. So I, I, you really need to focus on what he wants and what the timeline dictates there. You can't like overreact and do like a really foolish, like Blake Griffin, Kevin Love trade or something, but you've got to also compete if he wants that. What, uh, we'll wrap up on this. What, what did you make of, of Ryan Rosillo's comments there? I guess just one comment. And I tell you what, the thing I mentioned this the other day, the thing that stood out to me on, on when he was talking on the Bill Simmons podcast, it, it didn't seem like he was trying to make a big deal about the Booker thing. He just kind of casually threw it out there like it's common knowledge that Booker wants out. But I mean, we've never heard Devin Booker say he wants out. So I just, what did you make of, of just how casually he threw that in there? Um, it, it, this isn't even, uh, a, a a line to say like directly to those two guys who who do a great job with what they do and talk about basketball. But it, like the scouts that are saying that or the front office people who are saying that or whatever, like they're looking at the Suns for the first time in a while. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. Like they're, the Suns are in just like such a different lens now and have so much more attention on them. And I think the logic there is the logic that we've been talking about here for the past two and a half years. When it was clear, like entering Devin's third season that he was, on his way to becoming this level of player, and he's just going to continue to get better and be eventually like an all-NBA level player. That's probably what it'll be next season, honestly. You've got to have a better situation around him. So I think that it's foolish to to say that he would want out. No one knows, though. That's the thing. Like Whoever heard that absolutely does not know that. That that is also not true. But I don't think really anyone does because – Devin's just a guy who keeps everything close to his family and his close friends. And I don't think anyone would really honestly know if he was, and that's just the truth about it. So I'm not going to sit here and act like I know whether or not, because I don't think he would allow anyone to in the first place, but I will say that it coming from that specific source is just, that's, Hogwash. Yeah, wow. That's the first time we've ever used hogwash on this show, so I appreciate that. But I also appreciate... Yeah, when you can't say the bad words on live radio, <laughs> you got to think of something. That, that's what came to mind. Hogwash was pretty powerful. But I, I mean, I, I also, I, I, I like what you said there, though, too. I mean, it made... If you're looking at the Suns for the first time in a long time, that logic made sense two years ago. And Devin Booker never said he wanted out two years ago. Now the team is actually, like, potentially good this year. We can realistically talk about a playoff berth, depending what else happens in the Western Conference. I don't understand well, why you'd want to leave now. And, Luke, if you think about, like, Anthony Davis in the past year or two, like, in passing, like, the type of guy would be like, oh, I'm out of there, man, screw that. Devin's just, like, not the type of guy to, to do that and just, like, let it be known that he wants to be out there. And even if he was in a situation where he really wanted to leave, like, it, it would not go down with – and it wouldn't be so casual to where – some assistant vice president of the Indiana Pacers knows. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's ridiculous. Yep, that's probably the best way to wrap it up there. All right, Kellen, thanks a lot, man. Try to relax and have a good weekend. We appreciate the time. Yep, thanks. All right, that's Kellen Olson checking in with an NBA slash Suns update on the Coulter Automotive Group sports line. Coulter Cadillac Tempe, experience the difference. Visit ColterCadillacTempe.com. When we come back, we'll hear from the Arizona Cardinals GM, Steve Keim, as we head into Week 9 against the Miami Dolphins. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
All right, transitioning over to baseball real quick here before we wrap up the first hour of the show, in case you missed it, in the shuffle of everything uh, outside of sports, and then obviously with football dominating the sports headlines and the return of the NBA on December 22nd. Uh, that coming out for for certain now in the last 24 hours. How about the fact the Boston Red Sox have rehired Alex Cora? So he, I guess his punishment for being a part of the uh, the sign stealing scandal with the Astros is he got a year off and a short year at that. Really, his punishment is he's coming back and he doesn't have Mookie Betts anymore. That's the punishment. I mean, the, the Red Sox. In case you lost track of them last season, think about how frustrated you were with the Diamondbacks, who finished twenty five and thirty five, and then think about how impatient New England sports fans are in general. And then tell yourself Boston had a worse record than the D-backs. And Boston, only, the only teams worse than Boston this past 60-game season were the Tigers, who are traditionally pretty bad, the Rangers, and the Pirates. So it's not the same situation that he's stepping back into. It's not like he gets to come back in and just start winning the World Series again. That's what happens when you trade away one of the best players in baseball for one of L.A.'s like okay prospects. But he does get his job back with the Red Sox. So they were really bad last year. So they ended up uh, firing the manager and going right back to Alex Cora. So we'll see. I know there's a lot of baseball fans that don't love this because he was uh, he was part of that whole situation with Houston. And now he just sort of gets right back into the game. I mean, A.J. Hinch right back into the game with the, uh, the White Sox. Or not the White Sox, the Tigers. <laughs> White Sox would be a nice step up. The Tigers, that's kind of a punishment in its own. But uh, yeah, those guys right back in it. So they just ended up missing that odd shortened season that we just had anyway and for Cora specifically he gets to go right back to the Red Sox he knows how to handle the the Boston media the the fan pressure in Boston but again that was all when he had a good team the Red Sox probably shouldn't have been as bad as they were this past season they're not as good as they were when he left so that's something to keep an eye on when baseball season starts back up all right that's hour number one of the show hour number two is coming up next with the reload it is the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Now we're number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here with you. Jeff Darge behind the glass. Cardinals getting set for their matchup with the Miami Dolphins this weekend at State Farm Stadium. It's so weird now. I, I like mentally can't differentiate between home and away games in the NFL because it just doesn't feel like much of a difference. Um, as you heard from Steve Kime last segment, Cardinals get Marcus Golden in this one. Cliff Kingsbury, who, you know, he hasn't coached Marcus Golden before, but obviously Marcus Golden is very familiar with Arizona, and the fans are very familiar with him. Steve Keim is very familiar with him, but Cliff was asked what his impression of Marcus Golden is so far. You know, I I had heard nothing but incredible things about him prior to his arrival, um, and he's lived up to him. His preparation, uh, his work at at practice, his energy, it's it's through the roof. And, you know, he's coming from a different scheme that he was just in up there in New York, but he's fitting well and practiced well this week and has a great grasp of what we're asking him to do. So I expect him to uh, 
you know, play meaningful reps and, and have an impact on the game on Sunday. Now, last year the Cardinals came out of the bye week and fell flat on their face, a 34-7 loss to the Rams. Not the same situation, not the same opponent, and the Cardinals aren't the same team. But that's probably the worst game the Cardinals have played. You know, that game they came out of the bye week last year was at week 12 going into week 13. Every game since then has been better. And really, the three games leading into that bye week were better, too. So if there is any similarities just in the sense of how the Cardinals prepared during the bye week last year, they want to make sure they change those. Larry Fitzgerald said this is going to be different this time around. You know, I came and worked out Thursday, came and worked out Friday, came and worked out Saturday. To see the amount of guys that were here, I mean, we were running routes, you know, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday out there. And also there's the matchup between Kyler Murray and Tua, of course. Tua Tungviola, we talked about this earlier this week, both of them. Similar in some ways in the fact that both highly touted players, Kyler's the number one pick in the draft, but then he had something to prove, being a little bit shorter than your typical number one overall pick quarterback, really just shorter than most NFL quarterbacks. So he's, I don't want to say playing with a chip on his shoulder in his career, but coming out of the gate, even though he was the number one overall pick, it's kind of... A contradiction that he would also come out feeling like he had something to prove. Well, now you have Tua in the league, his second start. So, you know, second start, you always feel like you have something to prove. But he's a guy that there were a lot of people thought he would be the number one overall pick in this past draft a year ago before Trevor Lawrence, uh, I'm sorry, before Joe Burrow took the world by storm and before, uh, before Tua ultimately got hurt during Alabama's season. So now he steps in with something to prove that he is. You know, he's fully healthy and good to go, and he can make this work at the NFL level because you got to remember, he went from, okay, this guy will probably be the number one pick in the 2020 draft to Joe Burrow is going to give him a run for his money to he hurt his hip and his career might be over. (laughs) So he's got a lot to prove. The flip side, though, personality, the way these guys approach the game. I really do feel like if Tua has the success that Miami feels like he can have, and I think a lot of people think he can have, He's, he just he approaches the game. He has that mentality or that attitude like Russell Wilson, which works if your team is successful and you're winning. You can you can talk about how you know how it was good to get hurt or not hurt hit that first time last week against uh, against the Rams. There's this audio of him on the sideline. Hey, man, Aaron Donald, he don't talk. Can I talk to him? No, I try to you know say what's up. No, he don't like me. Yeah, that's Tua last week on the sidelines talking to his uh, other players saying uh, he just wants to talk to Aaron Donald. He was so into that game last week. He was upset at his own performance afterward, even though the Dolphins did win. But yeah, you remember the clip where he's like, yeah, you know, honestly, it felt good to get hit. You know, I just want to get out there. Like, he's going to be that guy like Russell Wilson where you hit him and he pats you on the head as he's getting back up. Whereas Kyler, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I do I do like that mentality. Kyler is, is not messing around. It's just, I'm here to win. And when I do win, I'm going to tweet something out, but it's going to be like five words or less because Kyler doesn't tweet a lot of words. Typically, he just tweets one and oh. So it's it's two contrasting um, emotional styles of quarterback play, but two very talented players with something to prove. And like I said last hour, in a way, the Cardinals, they're kind of responsible for Tua starting already this early in his career, I think, because... Miami has not only their picks in the first two rounds of this upcoming draft, but they have Houston's picks, which one of those in that first round could be a top five, top three pick. And so they at least need to know that Tua is what they think he is. So they're not sitting there staring at 
Justin Fields or maybe even Trevor Lawrence if the Jets somehow win a couple games, which they won't. They at least need to know who Tua is. And, and you know, he just as long as he's out there playing and healthy, I think they'll be happy with him as their guy to build around. So that wasn't really a thing teams did where you would draft a quarterback in the first round, top 10 pick, and then the next year even consider taking another quarterback until the Cardinals did it, of course, with Josh Rosen uh, and then on into Kyler Murray. Sticking with the Cardinals, Steve Kime did mention on Doug and Wolf's show this morning that uh, they have interest in a guy like Jonathan Joseph, the former Bengal and Texan and now Titan. Can never have too much depth in the secondary. They have seen that firsthand with some of the guys that they have, uh, have had injuries to this season. So there's at least some interest there potentially from the Cardinals. To college football, ASU is going to open its season tomorrow morning. And I do mean morning, 9 o'clock California time, which is where the game will be played. It's at USC, 10 o'clock Arizona time. Nothing is typical about this season, up to and including Pac-12 games starting before, like, 1 in the afternoon. Uh, And actually, if they are able to keep doing it, I hope they do this when things get back to normal next year and and beyond, too. I like like the idea of having Pac-12 games at a time where you can, like, you know how it is. You wake up Saturday morning, you're excited to watch college football. With all due respect to, like, Iowa and Purdue, sometimes I don't want to watch Iowa and Purdue at 9 in the morning. I don't always need to watch the Big Ten when I wake up on a Saturday morning ready to watch football. So it would be nice, it will be nice tomorrow to not only be able to watch the little Pac-12 action, but specifically ASU and USC. And that's not just a game that's fun locally because it's ASU and, you know, the, the hype gets built up a little bit more maybe because they're playing USC. These are the two teams leading the way in the Pac-12 South. I think ASU, if they want to go to the Pac-12 championship, needs to go through USC and vice versa. I, I think USC, USC's ranked, ASU isn't. USC's a 10.5 point favorite, which I do kind of think is a little high tomorrow. But uh, but USC is loaded on offense. But I also think USC, if they want to get to the Pac-12 championship, they're going to have to go through ASU in the South. So this is going to be, this is going to be a fun game tomorrow. A lot riding on it. This is Jaden Daniels on with Bickley and Murata yesterday. Not being able to get to play against USC growing up, the hometown team. I, I really, uh, that was probably one of my dreams, the dream school I wanted to go to. Not being able to play against them in this year, you know, get to go back home and play, play against them in the Coliseum. You know, I wish uh, my family uh, and friends were able to go to the game, but uh, I'm very happy to get back out there and just, you know, just go out there in week one and just play football again. Yeah, he was one of those guys on social media that has been very vocal over the last month or so of, hey, we want to get out there and play if we can, and uh, and he's going to get his chance tomorrow. Great quarterback matchup. We all know how good Jaden Daniels is. There's a lot of people that feel like, you know, maybe he's one of the top two or three sophomore quarterbacks in the country, but one that maybe is even ranked higher than him is Keaton Slovis, who is USC's starting quarterback. And it's interesting because you just heard Jaden say right there, USC is the, the local team for him growing up at uh, Cajon High School just outside San Bernardino. Well, Keaton Slovis is from here, Scottsdale. So you've, you've got the Scottsdale quarterback quarterbacking USC against the Southern California quarterback quarterbacking ASU. Should be a great matchup tomorrow. A lot of offensive talent for USC, but ASU's got some as well, and I'm interested to see how the uh, the running back situation breaks down for the Sun Devils with DeMonte uh, Trainum and Rashad White and Daniel Nagata back there. Those three trying to find a way to replace Eno Benjamin collectively. There are a couple Pac-12 games canceled already for tomorrow. The Cal-Washington game, uh, they actually canceled it yesterday, so... 
Couldn't do anything about that one. And then today we find out Utah having some COVID issues. They don't really have enough scholarship players to play. So they went ahead to the Pac-12 and said, look, we'd rather just cancel this game. So they were playing U of A or scheduled to play U of A. So Utah and Cal are the teams being impacted by the virus itself. But uh, the Washington Huskies and now U of A just not getting to play in uh, in week one of this Pac-12 season. So fortunately for them, they are healthy, but um, unable to play. And if you heard Burns and Gambo earlier today, Gambo not real psyched that they couldn't find a way to uh, to put those those two together and have a game. And, you know, I agree. I, I completely agree. Why not have U of A and the Huskies just play each other if they, if they are all testing negative and, and good to go? You don't have... You don't have a lot of games this season, so is there a way you get them together and even play on Monday if you had to? They haven't, guys haven't played yet, and it's it's November sixth. That's not like they are uh, they're beat up after five weeks of the season. You're going to make them play on a short week or whatever. Even if you couldn't do that, like I said earlier, make sure for the Pac-12 that you have some sort of contingency plan in place for next week. You can't predict all of this, obviously, but you do know that Cal and Utah are currently being impacted by the virus. Cal's supposed to play UCLA next week, or Cal's supposed to play ASU next week. Utah's supposed to play UCLA next week. So I would have some sort of contingency plan if those two schools are still unable to play a week from now, which is not inconceivable at all. Can we have ASU and UCLA play next week, and then we'll figure out what they do in week five when they were originally supposed to play each other. It's a mess. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I would certainly have ASU and UCLA on standby to play each other in week two if Cal and Utah are unable to go. And finally, the NBA season is... Uh, is uh, Well, just going back to the uh, Pac-12 deal, is it really fair? I hate to reignite the powder keg oh, no. that <laughs> was this topic earlier on Burns and Gambo, but is it really fair to tell a team, hey, you have to game plan for two teams this week because you might not be playing the team that you were scheduled to play. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. I, I think, I don't know what that day is, but there's got to be a, a point in the week, right, where like if we hit Wednesday or Thursday and Cal, it would have to be Cal and Utah not getting better, but there's got to be some point in the week where I agree it's not fair to tell ASU and UCLA to prepare for each other and their normal opponent this week. But I also don't want ASU and UCLA not to get to play next weekend. You know what I mean? So that's there's got to be a day, and there's got it's got to be probably like Wednesday or Thursday. And I know it's not as simple as me just saying that, so they can go do it. I know there's travel and logistics and all that stuff, but I got to think it's doable. I have to think that's something they thought of when they decided to have this uh, this shortened season for the Pac-12. Finally, NBA the season, and we just talked to Kellen Olson uh, last hour to kind of get some more of the details on it. But the season is set for December 22nd. That news came out last night. And uh, 72 game schedule, and we'll see. You know, if you were excited about the Phoenix Suns in the bubble, this works out. You know, pretty well, all things considered. It's it's nothing is ideal in 2020, but at least you'll have the Cardinals taking you up until at least the end of December, early January. I think they're a playoff team, so maybe longer. And then you should have the Phoenix Suns starting up right before Christmas. So we'll start to get maybe some of the other sports back as well. All right, that is the Rundown Reload. We'll come back and take a closer look at the Cardinals matchup with Miami this weekend. Next, it's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 
Welcome back to the show. Luke Lipinski here with you. It's a good time to talk sports. Everything going on outside the studio is craziness right now. Kyler Murray against Tua Tungavailoa this weekend. This is going to be a fun matchup for a lot of reasons. It's fun because the Cardinals have a lot on the line. Look, Miami has a lot on the line. This is not a throwaway game for them by any means at all. Keyshawn Johnson, who was very vocal that he didn't believe in the Cardinals earlier this season. And it was fair after two games, especially after they lost the next two games. I I never loved his reasoning because he he started by poking holes in their win over San Francisco, which was a legitimate win. San Francisco's beat up now. They weren't beat up then. But uh, he said, though, he he said yesterday uh, on his show and on ESPN in the morning, he'd rather have Kyler over Tua. I'm taking Kyler Murray in this situation. Kyler Murray, because I think that because of the dual threat possibilities with him, if you stop him from throwing the football, you take away DeAndre Hopkins and try and force him to go to Kristen Kirk or Edmonds or Larry Fitzgerald, he can pull it down and he can run. And it could be very cute. This is where, you know, every every matchup, you can start at the quarterback competition between the, 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 the two QBs of the opposing teams and, and say, okay, this is where it begins. I mean, you, you know, you get deeper in the game. You talk to Wolf most weeks. He's going to tell you it. it comes down to what happens in the trenches. There are some games where you know, like, okay, the Cardinals defense steps up in this game, you probably win. Or you're playing Baltimore, you're going to have a hard time with their defense. But if you're just going quarterback versus quarterback this week, as much as I like Tua's future, and I do buy into that theory that if you're going to be a really good to potentially great quarterback in the future, you can do some of that stuff the first time you step on the field in the NFL. I do I do buy that. Like, if Tua is truly going to be a good quarterback or a potentially great quarterback in this league, he can show flashes of that on Sunday. But the Cardinals still have a major advantage. They may have a major advantage when two is three years into his career because Kyler Murray should be that good. And now, for the first time in Kyler's NFL career, he goes into a game with the advantage in terms of experience over the opposing quarterback. That has not happened. The closest that we've gotten... To, to that scenario is, is Kyler going into the game against the Washington football team earlier this season against Dwayne Haskins because they were both in their second year. But that's it. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Cardinals better win the quarterback matchup this weekend. That's not a, it's not a knock on Tua at all. But Miami, for the reasons that we've already talked about, I'm sure you've heard them throughout the week, Miami decided to switch from Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though they were 3-3 three and three to Tua, partially because they believe Tua gives them at least an equal chance to win, also partially because they have two first-round picks and two second-round picks, and you just want to know for sure that the quarterback you just took in the, in, uh, with a top-10 pick is your guy, so you don't pass on somebody like Justin Fields or maybe even Trevor Lawrence. But because it's just his second start, because the Cardinals' defense has been playing well, you should be able to exploit that inexperience, even if it's not forcing turnovers from him. Maybe it's as simple as as saying, okay, but we know he can't hand off to Miles Gaskin because Miles Gaskin's out. And we know he can't hand out or hand off to Matt Breida because Matt Breida's out too. So if you're the Cardinals, you can kind of put Miami in a position where they need to to try to beat you with their rookie quarterback. The only way Miami can get away from that is if they're able to force Kyler Murray into some turnovers or you know Chase Edmonds or whoever on the offense into some turnovers and just kind of keep the offense off the field. But 
I always approach these games and look and say, like, you know, there's there's this many ways the Cardinals can win. And you start to kind of, you know, Kyler could just have a big game or Chase Edmonds could take over or the defense could could force the rookie quarterback into a lot of turnovers. You know, there's all these different ways the Cardinals could win. There are certainly ways Miami could win this game. I'm, I'm not saying there aren't, but there aren't as many this weekend. So that's why in, in, in that respect, you have to feel pretty good about the Cardinals' chances. Um, I mean, you should. They're 5-2, and two and they, they've been on quite the roll. Kyler Murray has been asked a lot this week, you know, what he could tell a guy like Tua or what he could tell us about being in the position that Tua's in. He talked about the advantages and disadvantages of being a rookie quarterback in the NFL. They can underestimate you. They can uh, respect you. But at the end of the day, you know, when you're a rookie quarterback, you obviously you just got to prove yourself. Um, and that was kind of my thing every every Sunday was, you know, try to just go out there and get better. Obviously put our team in a situation where we can win the game. But I had to prove myself each and every week that I belong. I'm still doing that till this day. He also talked about his relationship with Tua from college. You know, we we spent uh spent you know a couple of days together, um, you know, doing the whole uh, Heisman, you know, the college football awards. Um, he was hurt at the time, um, but you know his family, you know, they're uh, they're one of a kind. You know, really really nice people, great people. Showed nothing but love throughout that whole day. Uh, you know, the whole week. Um, nice to me, nice to my family. You know, obviously the love was uh, reciprocated, but uh, now Tua's, uh, you know, the, the times that I've been around him, nothing, you know, I can't say anything bad about Tua. Great dude, um, down to earth, uh, great player. So um, I don't know him too well, but, you know, like I said, the times that you know, we were around each other, it was nothing but, you know, good times. Yeah, so that's the quarterback matchup. That will highlight the game. I'm sure that's what all the major networks are going to be talking about on Sunday going into the game, but let's get to the defense. Defense is where the Cardinals are going to potentially have some issues, at least in terms of injuries. Already playing without Chandler Jones all season. And now dealing with the uh, the COVID issue with Devon Kennard and Byron Murphy, so you don't have them. Not going to have Drake Kirkpatrick this week either. So the Cardinals, shorthanded in that sense, could be a very different looking defense than it was a couple weeks ago. And, and even different than it was just when they played Seattle in their most recent game. Marcus Golden stepping in, so that's uh, that he's you know it's it's a good story because you know how enthusiastic he is to be back with the Cardinals. I think in a lot of ways he was a fan favorite, but it's also an important story in that they are going to need him to step in and make plays. This is not you know there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of time for him to to get worked back into the defense. Buda Baker talking about the potential impact that Marcus could have. New additions this late that guys are that are going to help us win games, guys that are going to really be in the game and, and help us get W's, help us be a better defense. And guys like Marcus Golden, like he said, um, great to have him back. The energy, the juice he plays with, the passion he plays with. Um, he wants to be coached. Um, and, and that's what type of guys we, we want on the defense, we want on, on this team, guys that, you know, leave their egos at the door and want to be coached by, you know, coaches, but also can get coached by their teammates and uh, stuff like that. So it's definitely exciting for those new additions for us. Yeah, Golden's, uh, he's going to be a heart and soul guy on the field. Very excited to be back with Arizona, I'm sure, even though he didn't really say it. He's very excited to not be on the Giants anymore because they're not going anywhere. Uh, and he gets to step in and just basically chase after the quarterback. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be a complicated game plan for Marcus Golden. It's uh, it's get to the desert and do what you did last year with the Giants when he got ten sacks. 
do what you did with the Cardinals back in 2016 where Chandler Jones had 11 sacks. If you recall, Marcus Golden actually had 12 and a half that season. He was the leading sack guy in Chandler Jones' first season with the Cardinals. If you look at the injury report for Sunday's game, the Dolphins just have Jamal Perry, the corner. He's questionable, and they have Matt Breida out. Didn't practice all week, actually, with the hamstring issue. But also remember, when you're looking at that injury report, Miles Gaskin's not on it because he's on IR, so he's out as well. So the Dolphins relatively healthy, except hit pretty hard by the injury bug at the running back position. For the Cardinals, Drake Kirkpatrick is out with that thigh injury. Didn't practice all week. Kenyon Drake also out with the ankle injury, in case you missed that earlier. And uh, so the Cardinals figured they were going to be turning to Chase Edmonds after Drake got hurt on that fourth down play against the Seahawks. But Cliff kind of hinted maybe he's just day-to-day earlier this week. If he is really day-to-day, then maybe we see him closer to playing next week against Buffalo, uh, but uh, not playing this week. So it's going to be Chase Edmonds. And then it sounds like if they have to take Chase off the field at all this week, we may see DJ Foster or Jonathan Ward in for a few plays. Cliff didn't mention Eno Benjamin at all this week when talking about guys that may uh, may step in if Chase Edmonds has to come off the field at all. So we'll see. Both teams pretty pretty thin at running back going into this one. But in terms of just talent that you can run out there, I think the Cardinals are, are more than comfortable uh, with Chase Edmonds as long as he's able to stay on the field. And defensively, you know, that's that's where the Cardinals have quietly had some success over the last three weeks. You have success against the Jets on the defensive side of the ball, and people just write it off because it's the Jets. And I get it, because the Jets are horrible. But you still had to show up and play defense, even though it was against Joe Flacco. And then the next week against Dallas, yes, it was Andy Dalton, but it's Andy Dalton with CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, remember, the reason the Cowboys lost that game, at least early, was Ezekiel Elliott kept fumbling. That's on the Cardinals' defense, too, for making that happen. So, I'm just look, the Cardinals' defense is still a work in progress, but against the Jets, they were impressive. As impressive as you can be against that team. Against the Cowboys, they were impressive. And they were terrible in the first half against the Seahawks, but they adjusted at halftime and gave up only seven points total in the third, fourth, and overtime. That's not easy to do against Russell Wilson. So, you have to at least be a little encouraged by what the defense has been doing the last few weeks. Now the question is, can they come out of the bye week and keep that going without Kirkpatrick and Kennard and Murphy on top of already not having Chandler Jones? All right, when we come back, we'll switch gears to college football and get the USC perspective on tomorrow morning's game between the Trojans and the Sun Devils. That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, final segment of the show, and what we're going to do since it is uh, Friday, quickly run through all of the NFL games as fast as I can here and just kind of give you the the first fantasy football storyline that pops into my head in each of them here. So I'm going to go... Pretty rapid fire because there's a lot going on now heading into week nine. And we are going to start with Broncos Falcons from Atlanta. Just the main storylines to keep an eye on it. Uh, Denver has kind of gone back and forth at running back between Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay. The Broncos, by the way, quietly three and four this season. That's a team that is not quite as beat up as the 49ers. I'm not sure anybody is, but 
they took their own fair share of injuries at the start of the season, even a little bit before with the Von Miller injury where he's sidelined for the year. They didn't have Drew Locke for a little bit. They're hanging around at three and four. That's not an easy team to beat. Uh, they're in Atlanta to take on the Falcons. Big story for the Falcons is uh, the health of Calvin Ridley. He got hurt on Thursday night, like last Thursday, in the uh, the game against the Carolina Panthers. What is it? I believe he has a midfoot sprain, which just doesn't sound good. And uh, he's questionable for that one. But the Falcons, Falcons struggling the season as it is at two and six. But if they don't have Ridley, who's really been one of their most effective weapons on offense, it's going to be tough for Atlanta. Over to the Seahawks and Bills. This one of particular importance, certainly to the Arizona Cardinals here in town. The uh, the Bills a chance to go seven and two. It it seems like maybe they are transitioning their running game to Zach Moss. He and uh, Devin Singletary had pretty much identical stats last week, except Moss was out there around the goal line, got two touchdowns, and uh, was also out there in uh, in a lot of passing situations on third down. So it seems like maybe Zach Moss could be taking over uh, the running back duties for the Bills, and then certainly for Buffalo. Josh Allen and that whole offense really trying to get back on track. They've been winning, but uh, this could be a week for Josh Allen. And if you have Stephon Diggs, could be a week for uh, him to get back on track, too, because Seattle's defense has just it's been non-existent. For the Seahawks, uh, if you have any Seahawks running backs, good luck trying to figure out if any of them are playing. Sounds like Carlos Hyde is definitely out. Chris Carson, if he starts, well, he's, I mean, he's a good start every week if he plays. If not, it could be Travis Homer. It could be DJ Dallas, who came from out of nowhere to, to start last week when everybody was hurt. So you'd like to have a running back on the Seahawks in general because there just aren't a lot of dependable fantasy football running backs in 2020. But the Seahawks are really beat up in that backfield. And it seems like if it's just DJ Dallas and Travis Homer, they'd maybe lean Dallas. That's what they did last week. Bears-Titans, I mean, anytime you're watching the Titans, to me, you're watching Derrick Henry. We've yet to see a team that can really uh, slow him down with any level of consistency. Continues to get better as the games wear on, like in the second half. But Derrick Henry versus Khalil Mack, potentially, is a, is a great matchup. Keep an eye on the Bears, too. Now 5-3. and three. I don't think they would go back to Mitchell Trubisky, but they haven't really had a lot of success with Nick Foles. Trubisky's not good. But uh, but Foles is really not winning, and some of that's just the matchups, I'm sure. But uh, the Bears now five and three after starting five and one. The Titans five and two this season. Ravens Colts from Indianapolis. Baltimore, the uh, usually the heavy favorite in games like this. But the Colts are actually five and two this season, and they have very quietly done it because they had a little bit of buzz around them starting the season, and then they promptly went out there and lost to Jacksonville in Week One. And everybody was kind of like, okay, if you're going to lose Jacksonville, then we don't have to keep watching you. But uh, the Colts since then are five and one. They're five and uh, two overall. The Ravens are five and two after a very strange loss to the Steelers last week. Lamar Jackson, who you're obviously starting in fantasy football every week, has not been nearly as productive this season as he was last season. And I know on the surface it's like, okay, well he was the league MVP last season, so yeah, he's probably going to drop off a little bit this year. But he really, he's been, I mean, for depending on what your your scoring system is in your league, he's been outside the top 10 for quarterbacks, which that's, that is surprising. And some of that is uh, other quarterbacks stepping up, but I don't know. When you come into the season, it was, it was very much from a fantasy football perspective, you're either drafting Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson as your top two quarterbacks. I think if we held a redraft right now, 
uh, Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson would be going ahead of Lamar Jackson, still not ahead of Patrick Mahomes, but ahead of Lamar Jackson. So keep an eye on that one in that regard because the Colts' defense is pretty good. Panthers-Chiefs, this one should be a fun one because you do have Patrick Mahomes Still waiting to see exactly how the running back situation shakes down for the Chiefs now that they have Le'Veon Bell and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. But for Carolina, it sounds like the Panthers are going to activate Christian McCaffrey off IR tomorrow, officially. McCaffrey hasn't played since week two. Had that uh, that high ankle sprain that was supposed to keep him out four to six weeks. But then there was talk, it's like, okay, it's Christian McCaffrey, maybe it'll only take him three weeks. And it's now been seven weeks, and he's coming back tomorrow. It sounds like they played it a little bit cautious with him last week on the Thursday night game against Atlanta, which maybe is the right thing to do. But Carolina now 3-5, and five, desperate need of a win. They will get their best player back. So obviously fantasy perspective there. If you have been riding Mike Davis for the last six weeks, probably can't do that this weekend against the Chiefs. Lions-Vikings, uh, Matthew Stafford's status in this one sort of up in the air. He can still. What is the, there's a rule where he can he can play, but he would have to fly out separate if he clears the COVID protocol. If the Lions don't have Matthew Stafford, I don't know how excited I am about starting Marvin Jones or anybody on Detroit's offense. Although they're playing the Vikings, who are another one of those teams that used to have a good defense and now just don't. Uh, Giants, Washington. Not a lot of fantasy implications in this one. If you are rush starting anybody on the Washington football team, I would assume it is either the rookie running back Antonio Gibson or the receiver, uh, Terry McLaurin. For the Giants, I mean, they just they don't score. They really... Uh, Devontae Freeman's out again, so they are thin at running back. They already were thin at running back because Saquon Barkley's out for the year. Daniel Jones turns the ball over a lot, so I guess if you want to start somebody from this game, go ahead and start the Washington football team's defense, maybe. Uh, Texans-Jaguars, this is an interesting one, only in the sense... I mean, there's two one and six teams, so I wouldn't advise watching it. But only in the sense that Houston did not come off as uh, as sellers at the trade deadline like some people thought they might. And I think part of that is what we were talking about earlier. Miami has Houston's first and second round pick, so it, it doesn't it doesn't benefit the Texans to trade away all their pieces and start losing even more than they already are because if they get the first pick, they can't take Trevor Lawrence. Miami can <laughs> or Miami can trade the pick or Miami can use it on somebody else. But from a fantasy perspective, that means it's still Deshaun Watson throwing to Will Fuller, who was rumored to go to Green Bay, and Brandon Cooks, who's actually been a lot better over the last few weeks with the Texans. So given their matchup with the Jaguars, might actually start some Texans this week. Uh, For Jacksonville, it's just James Robinson. I don't know who else you can really trust in that offense. Raiders-Chargers in the afternoon. Just mentioned that Vegas lost a sixth round pick. Is dealing. I would. I would assume John Gruden's going to have like nine masks on on the sideline. The Raiders are are certainly under the watchful eye of the NFL, probably more than any other team at this point. Taking on the Chargers, who are going back and forth between Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson at running back, still playing without Austin Eckler, but. To me, the guy to watch on the Chargers, and this is not anything new, it's been this way for a couple weeks, but the rookie, Justin Herbert, at quarterback, has been just outstanding. I mean, he's been overshadowed by Joe Burrow, who doesn't play this week, Cincinnati has a bye week in the rookie race, but uh, but Herbert has been, and you remember, he wasn't expecting to start much this season, and he's been just fantastic for the Chargers. They still don't win a lot of games. They're still 2-5. and five. They've got uh, issues. They've got injury issues, and they also have issues on defense, but if you're just looking for raw numbers, Justin Herbert's putting up some pretty good ones this season, 
And the Raiders, 4-3, and three, are still in the playoff race, uh, very much so, in the AFC West. Steelers-Cowboys, boy. Fantasy perspective here is uh, start your Steelers, all of them. Ben Roethlisberger, oddly enough, really hasn't put up great numbers this season from a fantasy uh, you know, point of view. Usually when you are a, a quarterback that has a lot of different receivers and a pretty balanced attack like the Steelers do have, you expect the quarterback, like it's like Tampa. Like Tampa's going to have Chris Godwin, it sounds like, and Antonio Brown and, and Mike Evans, all these guys. Well, then you just start Tom Brady if you can. That logic hasn't worked for the Steelers, really. It's been, if you're starting somebody in this game, you want to start Chase Claypool or James Conner or certainly the Steelers' defense against, we don't even know who the Cowboys quarterback is, but uh, I think you can fairly safely start Ben Roethlisberger as well. Dolphins-Cardinals, it's interesting to see how many people are scrambling to get Chase Edmonds in their lineups that don't live here. You know what I mean? Like, Cardinals fans know that he's been running pretty effectively. What is it, about 8.1 yards per carry, 6.1 yards per carry this season. And we all saw what he did last year. When they, uh, when they played the Giants and he had that big three-touchdown game, and we've seen him evolve in the passing game. But when you see people that aren't really watching the Cardinals very much, scrambling to pick up Chase Edmonds, you realize that uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of running backs, that, like I said earlier, that you can depend on in fantasy football. Dolphins side of things, it's always tough when you have a rookie quarterback making a second start. I don't know if you can start a guy like Devontae Parker or Preston Williams, and I don't even know who the Dolphins starting running back is now because... I was one of those guys that thought it would be Matt Breida, and it was going to be, which would have been especially nice in a PPR league. He's not playing, which helps the Cardinals, but kind of makes me want to just stay away from the Dolphins entirely in the, in fantasy football. Their defense has been putting up a lot of points, fantasy points, but I would not start a defense against the Cardinals right now. The evening game on Sunday, Saints-Buccaneers, Drew Brees is dealing with a shoulder issue Still don't know for sure that Michael Thomas is going to play. He's been in and out all season, it feels like. It sounds like Emmanuel Sanders is going to play. He was dealing with COVID issues, but he's he's off the COVID list now and should play this weekend. It also sounds like Chris Godwin may be back for the Buccaneers. That's tough because it's a Sunday night game, so if you have him in your lineup and then he doesn't play, you don't really have a lot of options unless you stash somebody else from this game or the uh, Monday night game. Also, Antonio Brown will be in this game for the Buccaneers. And the Monday night game this week is not a good one. It's the Patriots and the Jets. The Jets are 0-8. They are one of the worst teams I've ever seen. And the Patriots haven't looked good, but you have to figure if they need a get-right game, the Jets are the team to get right against. Patriots defense in this one seems like a really nice play. They haven't been that bad, but uh, but the team has not been good. All right, it's going to do it for us here tonight. Thanks to Jeff Darge for stepping in and running the show. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Luke Lipinski. It's been The Rundown on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.